You're listening to Healing Voices Project, where we share stories and the latest information from people who fight addiction every day. I'm Mike Torville, your host and author of Voices from the Fallen. Thank you for listening, for following, and most of all, for sharing with people you care about. Make your voice count too. Hello, everybody. I'm Mike Torville, host of Healing Voices Project, and we're glad to have you back, and we're glad to have our guest today. Her name is Laura Vargas, and Laura is the Director of Outreach Programs at SAD-OD, which is better known as, or otherwise known as, Support After Death After an Overdose. And Laura, thanks for coming today. Thank you so much for having me. Sure. Um, you you um, are the director of outreach programs at SAD-OD, and SAD-OD is um, based in Massachusetts. Yes. And uh, can you tell a little bit about what SAD-OD is and, and what you do there? So SAD-OD was started in 2019 in response to the overdose crisis, um, just continuing to rise and really impact the state. Um, as they noticed numbers continuing to go up in terms of fatal um, fatal overdoses or fatalities due to substance use in some way or another, the state decided that it would be important to offer some sort of grief support to the individuals that had been bereaved by this crisis. So our directors came together, Franklin Cook, Glenn Lord, and Tanya Lord, to put together this, this project that would focus on peer grief support for deaths due to substance use. So that is our focus. The peer grief support, I think, is, real, is a really important element to explain because with deaths due to substance use, there's often a lot of stigma and people feel misunderstood. They might become isolated as a result of it. People in their community might react in ways that are just not supportive. And so through peer grief support, what that means is it's support from individuals who are peers, individuals who have been through a death due to substance use themselves, being able to provide support to those who might be more newly bereaved, or even if they're not newly bereaved, who might not have reached out for support prior. So that is our focus. It comes in lots of different forms from individual support to group support, stuff online, all sorts of things that we can kind of expand on as, as we continue speaking. Sure. And are you limited to uh, substance abuse or do you also support and from other areas, um, accidents, suicides and other deaths aside from substance abuse? So for SAD-OD, as long as it's something related to substance use, it doesn't matter the cause of death. We can provide support. So whether it's suicide, an accident, motor vehicle accident, homicide, medical complications, we can work on that. Um, there does have to be some level of substance use either involved in the person's death or involved in the person's life. So even if somebody died as a result of something else, but if they had struggled with substance use for several years and the family feels that that is a big part of their grief, they're more than welcome to come to us for, for support and um, tap into any of our resources or services. Mm -hmm. And you just mentioned something that I was going to ask about. The, the, the important word is the family. The, the family, when someone dies through substance abuse, whether it's an overdose or other related type thing, 
it's not just a person, an individual who has to see you or your sad OD about it's an entire family. It's more than the family because it's their friends, it's their network, it's their coworkers. Um, but how how do you manage providing grief support to an entire family when you have all different ages, genders, and things like that? It's it must be difficult. We try to offer a little bit of something for everyone so people mm-hmm. can have it as needed. It's all completely optional. So in terms of an entire family, each person is going to have their own unique grief experience. And one of those might be interested in a support group. One of those might want one-on-one support. Again, this isn't therapy or any sort of professional mental health support, but peer support. And so to, to the second part of the question, lots of different genders and ages and all sorts of things, we try to have a representative group of peer grief support specialists or peer grief helpers, kind of our our staff encompasses a lot of different um, demographics and ages and all sorts of things so that if somebody comes in and they might feel more comfortable speaking to another parent um, who has lost a child, we can pair them up. Or if it's somebody who lost a sibling, we can pair them up with someone. Just making sure that people feel like they can kind of see themselves in the person that might be helping them. And that can kind of start to build that relationship. And then for other people, they might just want to read some articles on our website or kind of do things at their own pace. Um, So the entire family, yes, we can welcome them all in, but we want to make sure that each individual is kind of guiding their own journey and what that support would look like and that we have options available to meet those needs. Okay. And when I should have asked you in the beginning, but now's a good time to ask you if somebody wants to find out more, how do they find SADOD on the internet or by phone? Yeah. So our website is just www.sadod.org. So that's S-A-D-O-D.org. Um, and, you know, I was on the website. There was, when I saw there was three different types of audiences that, that overlap. Mm-hmm. You've got the public the people themselves with with drug use and of course um the frontline care providers yes. and you know i i hadn't thought much about that certainly i think about the, the public and I, I think about the families and i think about a, a parent but the frontline care providers i think is a really important aspect of what you do most definitely is um actually that was kind of the, the main idea when the program when the project was starting um it was supporting frontline workers because the turnover was so high burnout is so high compassion fatigue vicarious trauma these are people who are putting themselves out there each day trying to work on keeping people alive trying to work on giving people the support that they need and when they lose clients or peers or yes residents also you know all sorts of kind of organizations have have different titles for the people that they serve that can really, really take a toll on people, especially when it's becoming a frequent occurrence every couple of weeks or every couple of months. It's a lot for one person to to handle. And then you have the work that never stops. So these are people that worked all through COVID, all through, you know, everything. This is emergency support. You know, it it doesn't turn off at 5 p.m. And so how can we support the individuals that are being asked to do all that they're being asked to do, but also grieving they become really close to the people that they're serving or even to their own peers a lot of this space it includes peer recovery specialists so people who kind of identify with the community and so providing some level of support 
our goal is to reduce that burnout, to make sure that people have what they need because people go into this work because they're really passionate about it and really driven and motivated. So how can we keep that all there while increasing the support that we know is just crucial for the sustainability of this work? And I don't know how somebody can, uh, a frontline care worker, maintain their own mental health while dealing with this day in and day out. And as you said, they come you come close to people that you're working with and when they pass and you have to wake up and do it again and again mm -hmm. and again. And, and then <clears throat> I think, you know, and I, I've often said this because really I had an awakening because there's so much I didn't know. Um, when I wrote my book of, in 2021, it's called voices from the fallen. And it was eight stories, eight, only eight, when I say that only because it's in relative to the vast amounts of people who are affected, but eight stories from Western Massachusetts, all very diverse, um, and they all don't turn out well. But the, the stories that were, where there's a recovery, you know, that's wonderful, the family gets reunited, but a few of the stories don't. And um, and, and the, the despair, the, the, uh, the grief, and what people are enduring through this, um, and I was affected so much. I, I had to stop. I had to stop writing for months because I just couldn't take it. It it just took its toll on me. And I started to think about, I'm just doing this on my own at my own time with my other full-time job. And I can't imagine people that are doing this day in and day out all day. And I have a newfound respect for people in this field who work it every single day. Um, and the more involved that I got with this, the more I see there's some absolutely wonderful people in this field who just plow through. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's more than any any person could or should take on. <laughs> right. Right. It, I know what it did to me. And, and so I can't imagine. And, you know, also, too, I think, you know, we've all seen the statistics how it's increasing. And, you know, was it last year that it reached over 100,000 deaths? Last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Last few, yes. Yep. And then I think for each of those people, each of those single people that have died, their network of friends and family are, well, let's call it 100 people. It's probably more in many cases. But so 100 times 100, that you're talking millions of people who are affected by this. Each year, so, new ones, because it doesn't take away the ones from before. They're still grieving. They're grieving their whole lives. So the numbers are just unfathomable. Uh, and, and you're right. And I think it just, I don't know how you can possibly keep up with that. And the need, you're right, doesn't just go away. Okay, now this year we have a new 100,000, a new million people, because the previous years, it just keeps accumulating. Um, and, I, and it doesn't go away. And I've had many friends... Um, whose young children, or let's call it young adults, and they're 19, 20, early 20s, who, who have passed through an overdose. Too many, too many. Um, and a good friend of my best friend, um, back in 1995, was a while ago, under the influence of drugs and alcohol, he shot himself in the head. Mm -hmm. I've never gotten over that. It's 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Um, and, you know, one of my other best friend's son died at 19 and he's every day and, and um, I see this and I just, in his family, like, like many others, he's going through different types of support and it just never 
stops. It just never mm. stops. And you're all dealing with it very differently. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I guess when you start getting, for lack of a better word, exposed to it more, and more of us are, because I can't find, I can't hardly find a family that's not affected somehow by this. Right. Um, so you, you've certainly got your... Uh, a long way to go is and and it's and I'm I'm going on here because I'm just thinking about the uh, how large of a problem this is and with sad od are you <clears throat> continuing um you said it's a project under uh, and actually let's talk about that what how this came about and what it is but but also are you expanding are you growing your access <laughs> so sad od itself it's Massachusetts. And we're always looking to expand. We add new services, add new programs. We just launched psychoeducational workshops. In the summer, we launched a new outreach program, all sorts of things expanding within Massachusetts. Outside of SADOD, our parent organization, peer support community partners, we are expanding beyond Massachusetts. While this has been our biggest focus and our biggest project, we are now starting as we kind of can increase staffing and whatnot to move outside of Massachusetts. So we have a project in Indiana with the coroner's office there and a local nonprofit called Overdose Lifeline, um, where we're setting up peer grief support for deaths due to substance use. And we're also exploring some other things in other states um, within New England. So there's definitely the goal to expand beyond Massachusetts. That's actually the reason that I joined the SADOD team because I had been doing this work in Philadelphia. And I knew that it wasn't limited to the Philadelphia. Anywhere you look, you need, you know, the support is needed because this is impacting the entire country, the entire world, if you will. But, you know, we're focusing right. on the U.S. So I was hoping for an opportunity to kind of work in another um, area with more individuals kind of continuing to expand that reach. So it's definitely something that working on, we're interested in. Always talking to people about this is helpful because even if we can't meet the needs in other areas, but just kind of starting to change that conversation and changing the culture of grief. It's not something that we need to be silent about or people need to kind of just brush under the rug. This is something that's really happening. Like you said, over 100,000 deaths each year times however many individuals are impacted by it. The entire community is impacted. I know, you know, whenever I find out about somebody, it hurts. It, it hurts, even if it's somebody you weren't close with. I'll have people I went to middle school with or, you know, people you haven't seen in forever, but that sticks with you. So how many people's yes. lives are impacted by this and how can we make sure that stigma is just moving further and further to the back because there's no reason why somebody isn't deserving of support just because of the cause of death. That's just not human, but it's something that, that, is unfortunately far too common. Yeah, which, so there's two things I want to ask you because you were not from Massachusetts, as no. you told me earlier. And how did you get involved with Sad OD? Yeah, so I was actually presenting at a conference, a nationwide conference on grief about the work that I had been doing in Philadelphia. And I met someone who knew about SAD OD and said, you know, you should talk to these people. The work that you're doing is really similar. Um, the only difference is the work that I was doing in Philadelphia was professional grief support. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker. My training and my staff there, it was people who were, this was their job versus SAD OD. The focus is peer grief support. So yes, we're, we're staffing, we're hiring people. Um, but 
the requirement isn't, oh, you know, you need to have this degree in mental health or what have you. The requirement is you have to have gone through this um, to really understand what that experience is like and to be able to guide people through their through their journey. So one thing led to another, you know, we started talking and, and saw that there were a lot of similarities in the work that we were doing and our goals. Um, and it just kind of happened organically. Wow. And how long have you been with Saturday now? About a year. About a year. Um, and I've met several people. In fact, that's I got introduced to you by Gabe and I spoke with Alex and a few people I've met are, are really wonderful people that you've got. Um, and it's, it's so... Team. Yeah, it, it's it sure appears that way. Um, and uh, so with your experience with with grief counseling, I think, you know, it's I, you wonder, we all experience that. And I think a lot of us don't understand death. I don't. I mean, it's really hard to, to think about that and how you cope with it. And um, and if it's a parent or a, or a child um, and as you said, it just never, ever goes away and i've noticed in families um or even in a group of friends everybody deals with it differently and um and often sadly um sometimes parents who lose a child um sometimes their marriage doesn't last as a result of, a, of of grief how do you work through situations like that in terms of family dynamics yeah, family dynamics. And, you know, sometimes when you have a, let's say, a, a, a husband and wife who just aren't relating or communicating, do you find it's a common thing that um, it may lead to a separation of their marriage? It does happen, for sure. Um, yeah. the, the research is out there. It happens. And it's, I would say, because grief is so unique and so individual it's it's as unique as the relationship was and no two people have the same relationship so you might have two parents who both deeply love their child they both had their own relationship with the child and they both have their own way of grieving and coping and sometimes if those are completely different you know some people like to talk about their grief like to talk about their loved one and, and you know are really comfortable with that others might not be so comfortable with that and they might want more distraction and to focus at work and do all these things because it's it's too much to to lean into that and no one way is right or wrong there's no one way to grieve it's really the one way to grieve is what feels right and natural to you um and so sometimes people aren't able to really see eye to eye and when it's something that's as big and you know kind of it, it becomes the center of your world that that grief experience and so when you're navigating that and each person is on completely different pages about what support would look like and that's where where things can can get really tricky yeah and and also too i think what we've seen um sometimes is sometimes people with their grief or not knowing how to cope sometimes they themselves may turn to substance use and and that exacerbates the problem do you see that absolutely and that's actually how a lot of funding is coming through right now it's taking that more public health approach that this is preventive this isn't just a band-aid that we're putting on people just because we want to be nice but this is something that can really change people's lives whether they get support or not and again that support is different for everyone whether it's peer professional or just, you know, whatever it might be, but having something where people feel like they are supported can really prevent them coping in other ways that 
might be more maladaptive, that other ways that might put them at risk. We know that grief and loss is a tremendous risk factor for substance use, whether it's a new thing, you know, a lot of people might get prescribed sleeping medications or anxiety medications or something while they're grieving by a doctor, or whether it's something that they have done in the past, regardless, it definitely is a risk factor um, for that. And so let's make sure people have at least the option to seek out whatever support they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and you know, I think and what I'm learning about is is because so many um, there's so many ways to grieve, and because people are so different, there isn't. I, I could ask you, well, what what kind of advice do you have for people? And I don't think there is any particular advice you can give, except for one thing: reach out to somebody, make a phone call. I, I that's what I'm getting because start with that. <laughs> um, and then see see how where that takes you. Would you would you subscribe to that advice if nothing else? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And I would also say, if you are not the person that is is grieving this, but you care about somebody who is, you reach out to them as well, and and you know really offer that support. But have an open conversation. A lot of times people are are really scared that they're going to cause the person more pain. I worry that if I ask how they're doing or ask about their loved one, I'm going to make them hurt because they weren't already thinking about this. But in reality, they're thinking about it. You know, we can we can name what's there. A lot of times we call it the elephant in the room. And so knowing for, for the people who love somebody who's grieving, it's okay to reach out. But it's also okay to open up and have a really direct conversation. What would be most helpful to you? person that I care about. Do you want to talk about your person? I'd love to hear if that's the case, or, or do you want me to distract you and just tell you funny stories about my day and goofy things like that? Or do you want me to just kind of help with logistical things that might seem super daunting right now? Do you want me to pick up the kids from school? Do you want me to drop off meals? Whatever that might be, because for everybody, support looks different. But just putting yourself out there, making this person know that you really, really want to help and then the grieving person might need to provide a little bit of guidance because um, no one can can read each other's brains. But it goes both ways. But definitely communication and reaching out in both directions is really important. Sometimes as simple as just a simple expression of, of care, because sometimes we want to say something, we want to say the right thing, and often it comes out inappropriate. Um, or at least our perception is, oh, maybe I should never bring it up. Or maybe I should distract the person. Maybe they want to talk about it. And yet all I do is talk about some silly things that I think they want to be distracted by and the person's annoyed. And so it can have the opposite effect. Mm. Um, so sometimes keeping it simple and just expressing care and say, look, if, if you, it, it's sometimes a simple statement, like you said earlier, um, hey, I care about this. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. The person says, no, I don't mm -hmm. mind. Then, then, okay. It opens up the door a little bit. Right. Um, Absolutely. But I think a lot of us almost get paralyzed because you don't know what to say. And as a result, you say nothing. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that can, that can turn somebody the wrong way or make it appear that you don't care when in fact you right. do, but just don't yeah. know what to say. That's yeah. a very tough thing, isn't it? It is. And, and I hear that a lot when I, right now I'm with Saturday, I'm, fully behind the scenes program development, um, being mm -hmm. that it is peer-based, but back when I was working with, with people directly, I would hear that a lot of, 
I'm really surprised this person has been there for me through everything. I really thought this was my best friend or I expected more out of my sister or what have you. And, and they just haven't reached out. And it's a matter of recognizing there might be more to that, you know, but but it's important for, for people to know that sometimes not saying anything really hurts. So let's not, like you said, great point. Let's not get paralyzed and trying to make it perfect or trying to make sure you're not causing any pain. They're already in a lot of pain. And I'm not saying to, to cause pain, but I'm saying at least open the door. They know that they are grieving. They know they are in pain. It's okay to address it. They will let you know, no, please let's not talk about it. But at least putting it out there that you're open to it can go a really long way. Mm-hmm. Do you find you've, um, this is a, <laughs> I think I know the answer, but do you find in the few years since 2019 that, that your program is effective? And if so, how do you see that? How do you know what you're doing is working? Yeah, absolutely. I would say definitely people really, really lean on us for support, um, which goes two ways. Number one, it's heartbreaking to know that there's so many people out there impacted by this. But number two, it's great to know that we're able to provide that community. I would say where we see it most is we started doing an annual conference. The first one was last year. We had our second one this year. This is in person in Massachusetts. The one this year was in Framingham. And we got over 100 people there. People who were there because of their grief. When you hear conference, you oftentimes think, oh, you know, work related. But people were coming to this to have a sense of community. A lot of people came alone or they came alone the first year. And then this year brought some friends or, or some family members where this was new. And just being in that space where it was so safe, so supportive, there was no judgment. This was a place where people could really be with their grief. If they were crying, it was okay. No one was rushing to, you know, try to make it stop because everybody knows what it's, what it's like, what that feels like. Um, that is where I would say that's where I saw, okay, this is really working. Um, and mm -hmm. we did secure funding to do it again next year, but just because it's so powerful and, and feedback that we get is just people have a weekend to, to be themselves with others who understand. And sadly, that's usually not the case the rest of the year. And I'd be curious to see how when people come away from that conference, how they feel and the difference it makes going forward. I, I would imagine there's a lifting, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People, people will often say, I left and I was crying a lot. This was really sad but it's also exactly what I needed. You know, it's exactly what I needed, which, which is a lot, you know, the, there's a lot of power to that. Mm -hmm. And who can attend that conference? I mean, is anyone. it just anyone? Okay. And how you do it once a year um, yeah, in October In October. Okay. So it just occurred. Um, and speaking of that, because on the website, you do have a calendar of other events on your website, right? So if somebody wanted to see what's happening and um, learn more about, your, your programs and, and prior to, to contacting you, certainly to go on the website and see what you're all about, right? Definitely. Um, and so, again, we're talking with Laura Vargas, the Director of Outreach Programs at SAD-OD. And um, we could talk a long time, but we'll, we'll spare <laughs> we'll spare everyone for, for that long conversation. Um, I appreciate you coming on and um, I'll say it again, because if you want to find out more sad OD, which is um, sadod.org mm -hmm. and the phone number is 857-391-5530. And, uh, and Laura, is there anything that we've didn't get around to talking about that you think we should? 
I would just say that anyone can reach out for support, whether they are Mm -hmm. in Massachusetts or not. It might look a little different, especially if they're in Massachusetts. We have a form on our website. It's our request help form that anybody can fill that out. And what that does is it'll get you a call from one of our peer grief support specialists or an email or a text on the form. People can select how they want to be contacted and somebody can fill that out for themselves for a loved one or for a community member. Um, So it's a really, really easy way to get in our system. Somebody will reach out. Everything is completely free to the community and through reaching out, they can welcome you into our community, walk you through what is available, walk you through support groups. There's so many to choose from. So it might be, you know, something that they can help you kind of narrow down your search of, of which one feels right, all sorts of things. Um, so I would really encourage people to to use that if, if they feel that they would benefit from this kind of support. And I think you're right. As we said earlier, sometimes it's the first thing to do. And often people feel alone that no one understands. Well, you have a vast group here that understands they've been through it like you said it's peer-to-peer these are others that are going through the same thing and to at least start with that um and i know often people will feel um sometimes even a loss of purpose of continuing to go about their own lives in a normal way um certainly reaching out to sad od can open up that and maybe maybe change your change things uh, for the better, at least help relate and make you feel you're not the only one going through it. Um, and that's a great start, um, like I said, because sometimes um, dealing with it in other ways sometimes has unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. So I'd certainly recommend sadod.org or, or getting on the website and calling and, and initiating that contact. And you may... Um, find it's a, it's a fantastic outlet and again the work you're doing is so great and it's evident by the expansion and how many groups i you have 30 or 40 i saw on the website uh, locations where people can meet is this uh, physical groups, places yes. where so, people go to yeah yep and not all of those are are sad od what we did is we created a support okay. group directory where we tried to find all the support groups in Massachusetts and, and plug them in there. So a lot of them we're not involved okay. with, um, but we want to make sure to highlight them so that people can join okay. them. And we are connected to facilitators. You know, we'll talk, make sure that the group is still running, that it's still accepting new members. Um, but we do have a partnership with The Sun Will Rise. And so about 30 of those groups are SADOD and The Sun Will Rise. Um, mm-hmm. So lots of groups to, to choose from. And I think even by in contacting SADOD, somebody can help direct you or at least guide you to a more local place, right? So, yes. Okay. Well, that's good to know. All right. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you very much. I appreciate having you on. It's great information. Um, and uh, I know we've got um, others in your organization that we're talking with soon. And um, mm-hmm. we'll be talking along the way. Sure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for providing a platform to to share this. It's super important to get the word out there. So I appreciate all that you're doing. Sure, sure. Thank you very much. All right. Well, um, we'll be talking soon. And everybody for listening, thank you very much. Remember, sadod.org. Please visit the website if um, you're going through any type of grief or you want to find out more about how to share this with other people that you know. Thank you very much. And thank you, Laura, for joining us. And we'll talk soon. Thanks. All right. Perfect. All right. Uh, Les is our editor.
and Les will edit out the end and certainly the phone number thing that the we phone went number. through. I was like, I don't know where it is. <laughs> no, that's fine. I did it with um, two people last week. We had a, a recovery center in and, and two, and I should have asked. I said the same thing. I said, uh, so what's the website? And they rattled it off. And I said, in the phone number, they go, they looked at each other and go, I, <laughs> I don't know. So <laughs> it's so funny because I guess people don't, think about the numbers as much as the websites these days you know it is pretty funny so so you're not alone <laughs> no 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 all right well all right well thanks again and I'll, I'll let you know you know what we're doing in terms of timing and all that stuff yeah. and if you don't mind i went on the website and um i pulled your headshot from the website to use on my website is that okay sure that's fine yeah no problem okay perfect well, thanks, Laura. Awesome. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you and so much, Mike. Appreciate everything that you're doing. Sure. Whatever you need, All feel right. free to reach out. All right. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.